can uh, fill that out then and consider that then. So we're going to go ahead and get into our message now. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Last week we started this series entitled Heaven, and we're going to take five weeks here to break down a different aspects of what heaven is like. And last week we talked about what heaven is like right now, and we took a, a timeline of what heaven was like and getting to where we're at today and understanding that there's different uh, phases, if you will. And we walked through the history, the timeline of what heaven was like at creation, and then the rebellion, and then also to understand this place of waiting, or Sheol, or Hades, where there's two different places of this, one where the wicked would be, and the other would, where the blessed would be, those who are righteous, and that when Christ died on the cross, he went and proclaimed his victory to Sheol, the entire place, and he took captivity captive with him into heaven. And so now in this Sheol is just the one side, if you will. It would be where hell's at, and we have this heaven, this location right now, that if you take your last breath as a believer, you're immediately in the presence of God in the heaven right now. And so with that understanding, something that I wanted to point out is, is that we don't get our resurrected bodies right away when we die. If today you died, you would not have your resurrected body. You'd either have a spiritual body or a temporary body in heaven right now, but the bodily resurrection for believers is coming. And it's going to happen at this event where Christ returns. And we're going to be breaking that down today, but understanding some of the things that are, that are coming for those who are believers in Christ. Now, I don't know if you are aware about this or not, but Christ is returning. That's not a Russell thing. That's, that's straight from the Scriptures. Christ is coming back. And so we're going to break those things down today. But before we begin, I just ask that we'd have a word of prayer together, asking for the Lord to guide us and lead us here in this time together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time here today in your word. I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives, that you would guide us and lead us, and a greater understanding of your return, and that you are coming back, and to bring those who are in you right now, to gather them together. We can be in your presence to know that we have a conquering king who is going to step foot back on this planet. Our minds can't totally comprehend that, but Lord, I pray as we walk through this today that you would illuminate things in the scriptures. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be walking through a variety of passages today, and I'm going to be doing it fairly quickly. And so I want to encourage you to just maybe jot down some of these passages that you're going to see on the screen, but also just to remind you that this week I'll send out my outline. So if you feel like you missed anything, I will get you connected with what I'm walking through so that you can be able to, to look through that in your own time. So I want to look at this event that is often called the rapture. 
And the point of it being called the rapture is there's going to be a seizing or a taking away of those who are in Christ. And there's a variety of views on when the rapture is going to happen. Because there's this event in history that's going to take place that's called the Great Tribulation. And there's a variety of views and opinions on whether or not the rapture is going to happen before that, or halfway through the Great Tribulation, or at the end. And those views would be pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. And I'm not necessarily going to, to choose one of those and bring that to you today. I want us to understand that there is going to be a moment where Christ is going to gather His people into the air. Whether that's pre, mid, or post The Bible says it's going to happen. And so last week I mentioned that when you die, your body is here on this earth and your spirit goes to heaven. When Christ returns at the rapture, the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And so their bodies are going to be reunited with their spirits and they'll receive their resurrected bodies. And for those of us who are alive that are believers in Christ, we will instantly get our resurrected bodies, and then we will meet them in the air and we'll be with the Lord together. I want to read these passages to you, starting with 1 Thessalonians 4, so you understand where I'm drawing this out. Verse 13, Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you'll not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. So believers who are with Him right now, they're coming back with Him when He returns. Then in verse 15 he says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. And for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Paul says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. That's their bodies. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This event called the rapture. Jesus is coming back and we're going to rise from wherever we're at and we're going to meet Him and those believers who have already died and are with Him. We're going to meet them all in the air. Well, something that happens at that moment is called the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but all of us are going to stand before God and give an account for what we've done in this life. And the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for believers only. This is for all those who are righteous because they're believers. They're going to stand at this judgment and give an account. Romans 14, 
talks about this. Verse 10, it says, Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Notice it doesn't say anybody. It says another believer. Because there's going to be a moment where all of us as believers are going to give an account at the judgment seat. It says, Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for the Scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God, and yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. I'm going to give an account for my life, and you're going to give an account for your life. What have you been doing with the presence of Christ? When you received Him, what are you doing in the kingdom? Because there's going to be a judgment day for that, and I want, I want to be clear. That's not a moment where Christ says, well, I wish you would have been more active, and you're thrown out. Okay? But this judgment is going to determine what kind of rewards you're going to get. And the roles that you're going to have when you're in heaven. The work that you're going to be doing in heaven. And we don't always think about that when it comes to heaven. But there's going to be things we're doing. And what we are doing here on this earth determines what we're going to be doing in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we're going to be judged for the things we've done in our earthly body. You know, Matthew 25, Jesus gives a parable of the talents where he says there's a master that's going to leave and he gives his servants these talents or this sum of money before he leaves and he wants them to take care of it while he's gone. And to one servant he gives five, to one he gives two, and the other one he gives one. And he leaves. And while he's gone, the one that had five doubles that and turns that into ten. And the one that had the two doubles that and turns it into four. And the one that had one. It's like he grabbed a mayonnaise jar, threw it in there, and buried it. Didn't really know what to do with that. Didn't put it to work. Well, eventually the master comes back and he settles the accounts. And as he's going through each of these, to the guys that doubled what they were given, you hear those famous words that we all want to hear when we enter God's kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. But do we ever say the rest of that? You've been faithful with little. And now I'm going to put you in charge of even more. So the things that God puts us in charge of right now, the resources, the things that we have, we can leverage those in the kingdom. We can use those to advance the name of Christ. And as God gives us these things and then we stand before Him, is He going to say, you've been faithful with little, now I'm going to put you in charge of even more. Do you ever think about that? What are we doing in the kingdom now? Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. And so there's things that we should focus on, but we often get so distracted by the concerns and the cares of the world. We're building our own kingdom, when meanwhile are we pulling back from things that we'd have opportunities for when we get to heaven. Not that that should be a primary motivator. I want to do good so I get more rewards. 
I mean, ultimately, though, if the Holy Spirit's in your life, you're going to have a heartbeat that other people enter into the kingdom with you. And Jesus talks about inviting people to that great banquet in Luke 14. And in verse 14, Jesus says, At the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you. So the day we get our resurrected bodies, when Jesus brings everybody into the air, there's going to be a judgment. And I like 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. I think it breaks this down. All of us who are in Christ, we have the same foundation. That foundation is Jesus. But what are you building on that foundation? And the Bible says that you can build things that really won't matter in the end on that foundation, or you can build things that truly matter in the end with that foundation. Paul says, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. And now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, and that's Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, we all have the same foundation. But what are you building on that foundation? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss... The builder will be saved, not that you're being kicked out of heaven, but you'll be saved like somebody barely escaping through the wall of flames. There's a judgment coming where we'll receive the rewards for what we've done in God's kingdom. And if we're going to do a series about heaven and understanding what heaven's going to be like is realizing that there's going to be things we're going to do. We're all going to have roles. What those roles are going to be, I couldn't exactly tell you. But I know that what we do with what we've been given here on this earth will determine what our roles are going to be when we get to heaven. The Bible talks about believers receiving crowns. And whether this is one specific crown or if it's several, because of the way we've lived our life, the crowns that are mentioned is the imperishable crown the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. But there will be a day where we'll all give an account for the things that we've done. And there's something about that that causes us to go, well, man, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with Christ? It's not just about, well, I'm saved and I'm good to go, but are there things that, that I can be doing along life's journey. I mentioned a moment ago this great tribulation. There's a day coming for this earth where it's going to get incredibly intense. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out, and to be quite honest with you, all hell is going to break loose. The Bible talks about this false prophet and the Antichrist, and they're going to be wrecking this havoc across the planet. And there's a variety of debate on whether or not believers are going to be a part of that, whether we're raptured out of that or you live through that and you're raptured at the end. 
But understand that day is coming. The Bible talks clearly about that. The Bible also talks about a marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to be breaking that down next week. But to understand this banquet that we've all been invited to. And those are things that are going to take place. And as we have this rapture and this judgment, what happens next is Jesus is going to come back and step foot onto this planet. There's a gathering that's going to take place, and some would say this gathering is that moment of the rapture. If you believe that you're raptured out of the Great Tribulation, what I'm about to read to you then would be a gathering of those who had received Christ during the Great Tribulation. But whatever your viewpoint, this gathering is pulled out in Matthew 24 where it says, At last the sign of the Son of Man is coming and will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather His chosen ones from all over the earth. There's a gathering that's going to take place, and they're going to go up and meet Christ and His army as they're coming from heaven. They're gathering the chosen ones from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And in Matthew 25, it talks about that Jesus is going to separate people out like a shepherd would separate sheep and goats. And what's the difference between these two kinds of people is the sheep are the people that truly cared for others while they lived their lives. And those who are the goats are those that didn't care for people. And so that separation takes place, but this gathering of people all together in the sky sets up that moment when Christ returns. But understand what's happening here on this earth with the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. There's a moment that's going to take place, this battle that's called Armageddon. I just want to clear something up with you. Armageddon is not a movie about an asteroid that's going to hit the earth. And so we send up a drilling company to drill a hole in the asteroid, blow it to pieces, and hopefully we spare humanity. Armageddon is a very real prophetic event that's going to take place at a very real location. And in Revelation 16, the Bible says that when the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And they're demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. And look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so that they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Christ is gathering His people in the air, and these demonic spirits are gathering this evil army on the earth. 
and they're going to meet at one specific location. And this location is what today is called the Jezreel Valley. The Valley of Megiddo. That's a Google image of this place. It exists. I'm not making this stuff up. The location where this battle is going to take place, Armageddon. I want us to imagine this for a second, and I don't do this very often, but as I read the return of Christ from Revelation 19, with all the imagery we've gathered so far in this message, if you feel comfortable with this, I encourage you to close your eyes and imagine the return of Christ. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like the flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod. And he will release the fiercest wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. And both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one who was riding the white horse." And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. As you open your eyes and just think of the imagery you saw, one question I would have for you is who's doing all the work at the return of Christ? We're a part of this army, but Christ is the one who takes care of the army that's gathered against his people. This day of Armageddon is coming. I'm not going to sit here and pick a date. That would be foolish. And kind of, in a humorous way, I say today we're closer to this day than we were yesterday. But the reality of this is we are getting closer. And Jesus gives us, if you will, signs or indications of this day when he will return. We're going to walk through that in a second, but I want us to picture this. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he was at a place called the Mount of Olives. And he was speaking with his disciples, and up 
he goes. And there's angels that are like talking to the disciples who are probably... I mean, after a while, you're, I mean, what am I going to do now? And these angels tell him that he's going to return in the same way that he left. I don't know if we know this or not, but with how specific that is, he's actually coming back and he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah tells us that in chapter 14. When he returns, this is a literal thing that's going to happen. It's not just thing the pastor would talk about to try to encourage his folks to focus and get their lives right with Christ. This is going to happen. And the scriptures are clear. And Jesus talks about things that are going on in our culture, and as they get louder and louder, it's an indication that we're right around the corner. He calls them birth pains. When a woman is going into labor, you know that that baby's about to arrive. But you think of all the things that are going on in our world, that are going on in our society today. If you're a musician, there's a a getting louder that's going to take place, this crescendo. And it's going to get louder and louder and louder until the day that he returns. I think you can look around and go, I think things are getting louder. And Jesus says to learn a lesson from the fig tree, that when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things happening, you can know that his return is very near. It's right at the door. In closing today, I look at Philippians 3.20. I just read to you Matthew 24 there. But Revelation 16.15. Philippians says we eagerly wait for our returning Savior. Do we eagerly await that? And then Revelation says, blessed are all who are watching for me. Are we watching for this? Because it's coming. And I think a question that we should all ask ourselves is, are we ready for this? You can look at that in your own life. Am I personally ready for this? Do I have that relationship with Christ? The other part of that, though, is am I actually engaging in his kingdom? Or am I just kind of cruising along, doing my own thing? That will be settled at some point when you stand before the Lord. But I want to encourage you that when you stand before Him, there are things you've been doing on this earth that matter. And I think the last thing I can ask you is, are there people in your life right now that you know that are not ready if this day was to happen? Because there's a a tendency to think, well, I'm okay. And, I mean, to a certain degree, you have to settle that very question in your own life and for your own house. But are there people you know that God might be tugging on your heart to say, it's time to start having some conversations. It's time to start planting some seeds. It will risk a little bit of the relationship. I'm not denying that. But is the risk worth it? You tell me. If they're not going to heaven, I'd say that's worth it. Wouldn't you? 
I heard an atheist one time say that he was evangelized to. And he was grateful that the man did that, but he didn't respond. He didn't give his life to Christ. But he said, that believer had enough conviction to know that what he's reading in the Scriptures is true enough that I'm going to tell somebody about it. I mean, that's straight from an atheist's mouth. And we have a culture filled with Christians that it's like we either don't take this serious enough to tell people about it or we just don't care or we're too busy or what have you. But do we really believe what God's saying to us in His Word? And if we do, then what are we doing with it? Sometimes there's a pressure I feel at this pulpit. Every week I give an opportunity for people to receive Christ. And I always want that for this pulpit. I always want that for my ministry. But one of the risks is for people who sit here week in and week out and they hear that, it's like, well, here we go again. The same prayer, leading people to Christ. If you've ever thought that, I want you to know we're trying to get people ready. And if you're a believer right now, I've challenged you, you can go out and get involved in the kingdom. There's nothing holding you back on my end. Go get it done. But when we pray here in a moment, if you're already a believer, I want to encourage you to pray that the people that need to respond would be responding right now. Don't just sit back and, oh, I've already done that in my life. Engage. Pray that somebody would lean in to receive Christ because we need to be ready. And so with that in mind, I want to close this in prayer. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message today, the things you've placed upon my heart to share, but to know that you are returning. And we need to be ready, and we want to help people get ready. And so, Lord, guide us in that by your grace. And Father, if there's anyone listening right now that as we've been talking about these things, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I'm ready. I want to help you to get to that place where you know that you're right with God. The first step with that is recognizing that you're a sinner and that you need saved by coming to Christ and asking for forgiveness of your sin. And then you receive Christ in your life to be your Lord and Savior. And you now have this relationship with God Almighty, and you serve Him in the kingdom. And you walk this new life that's been changed by God. If you desire that, I want to lead you in this prayer to receive Him. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I'd ask that you'd cleanse me and make me a new person. And help me to live for you. And walk in a new direction. Today I receive you by grace through faith. And I want to thank you for this gift of salvation and for making my heart ready to meet you. 
thank you. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, if there's somebody here today that prayed that prayer with me, would you just acknowledge that with me by just lifting your hand up and putting it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just acknowledging, Pastor Russ, I prayed that with you. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these decisions today. I pray that you'd make these so real. Bless these individuals that have new life in Christ. And Father, help us as a body of believers to be serious about your kingdom and about your return. We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.